0: as learners, remember back to sort of the order you need to do things in, you need to, you know, open up that learner's mind and heart with sort of an unexplored bias. Then you have to kind of get in there and I'd say, okay, so let's look at ourselves differently and the puzzle pieces of who we are. And let's put privileges in there, um, neutrally, objectively, not as a bad thing, but as a fact. And then once we've kind of inventoried ourselves, then my question is, you know, where do you need support, honestly? Because I do think, too, we're, we're, we're so many things. Like, I, I need allyship as an LGBTQ person less and less, but I still, I still benefit from it, and I value it, and I appreciate it. But then I can also be the ally in so many other respects. And I can do all those things at the same time, and I can talk about doing them at the same time. And that's what I tell leaders as I say, make your work visible. Like, talk about... the the ways that you are coming to understand your identity.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jennifer Brown, award-winning diversity and inclusion consultant, author, and inclusive leadership expert. Jennifer is also the host of the popular weekly podcast, The Will to Change, uncovering true stories of diversity and inclusion. During the episode, we discuss Jennifer's successful transition from being a sought after keynote speaker to an accomplished author. We explore the concepts of having a learner's mindset as a leader and the importance of effectively delivering an impactful message. Jennifer also shares practical tips and strategies on how leaders can cultivate inclusivity in their teams and organizations and provides actionable advice on how to be an inclusive leader in today's rapidly changing world. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Jennifer.
0: Hello, Natasha, how are you? I'm
1: really good. (laughs) I'm so excited to have this conversation. I do we do? It's gonna be good. Yeah. So um, let's kick things off. Like tell our listeners, if they don't already know who you are, um, a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. So uh, I always say everyone has a diversity story, even those you don't expect. And uh, for me, the pieces of that are that I. Um, I was very active in social justice in my early 20s, which was years ago. Community organizer, worked for nonprofits, but I was also a singer um, and and kind of did it on the side. But eventually I would be able to move to New York City and study opera, which was really incredible. What a a privilege. And unfortunately, through operatic training, preparing for that, that field, I injured my voice. And it happened several times. I had to get surgery to repair it and um i literally would would really need to go through the heartbreak of realizing that i wouldn't be able to make that living you know that i thought i would be making and give up that dream Uh, and in the process then of kind of wondering what's next i discovered and stumbled on the field of training and development uh because from one stage to another it was literally switching to facilitating adult learners in the workplace context and It found me. I think there's a lot of uh, previous performers who are now trainers and facilitators and coaches and all of that. So uh, I got another degree after my music degree in organizational change and leadership and uh, from Fordham University. And I began to love that field. I fell in love with it. I um, began by being a trainer for leadership, all things leadership, and then pivoted into DEI which was not called DEI back then, because this was almost 20 years ago. It was really just the D, which was diversity, which is how it was referred to. And then of course it's changed since then. Um, And then I I had some corporate roles and then I started my own company, Jennifer Brown Consulting. uh, And I've had that for almost 20 years now. So I like to say I was meant to use my voice, just not as a singer, but to bring voice to those of us who felt and feel marginalized, in workplace systems that weren't built by and for so many of us. And I also intimately understand that too because I'm a member of the LGBTQ+ plus community. So I've been out for 25 years, but and very active in as an advocate in that space particularly for workplace equality, but very closeted in my professional roles. You know, as a corporate person, even as an opera singer certainly, corporate person and then as an entrepreneur and sort of slowly over the many years coming to the front about that. And now from stages, every stage I'm on and every moment that I can. uh, But that was not always something I was comfortable with. And it's really the work of my life to build more comfortable organizations of belonging where people feel they can bring their full selves. Even if that wasn't true for me, uh, it's the work that I get to do now and, and leave it better than I found it.
1: Oh, I love that. And I love the way that it's like I was meant to, to have a voice and it's a voice for <laughs> others. Like that's amazing. Great. Yeah, I know. Actually, it's really great. <laughs> it's good that you've you've been able to make that connection now, but obviously when it was happening to you, it was probably quite yeah. difficult at the time. Um and it was it was probably a, a difficult time. Um mm. and so in all that you've accomplished and, and all the um the great things that you're doing and, and the voice that you're giving to so many what inspired you to to turn to writer to be an author because you recently released your second edition of your how to be an inclusive right. leader um congratulations so how did you work through that process of of going from being on the stage being the speaker to actually putting all your thoughts down in in words
0: yeah that is such a leap like you say and some of us become authors before we become speakers and some of us do the reverse um Speaking, I would say was always more comfortable, but I think the process of writing your first book in particular and going through that work of, you know, the imposter syndrome kind of cracking through the, who am I to write this? What do I really know? How am I going to do this? Is anybody going to care? Will anybody read it? (laughs) I might definitely have to credit people on my team back then, which was almost seven years ago now that I did my first book with saying, you need a book. You know if you want to be a speaker you need a book and getting over that fear and then beginning to put words on a page um and that book is called inclusion actually and it still has a wonderful audience which is really neat to see i would have thought it might be uh maybe out of date because so much has changed in the, in the space but people still go back and read it um but it was really i think a kitchen sink book like it was all the things that i wanted to write about all the things that i knew comfortably and could write with confidence about and um, it was it was a very broad book, and I think it, it I had a lot of audiences in mind because I think I wasn't really clear about yet who is my main audience. So it, it was a bit of spaghetti against the wall, <laughs> uh, a little just a little of that. But I like that too because it kind of has something for everyone. Um, for I mean it works readers. for the title though, right? Because it is it's inclusion. Exactly. So you yes, make sure exactly. you've got you want to make sure you've got that's a, the whole point. A bit of
1: everything. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it works exactly. in your favor. That's great. Uh, no, thank you. I never thought about it that way, but that's true. Um but yeah, it's, it's so I think that um and you and working with a team was so helpful for me. I always I always rely on others in this work and have always done that with my company even. Like I always wanted to build it bigger than me. I wanted to do this work with people. I wanted to play a role uh, that was kind of, I guess, thought leader or voice or evangelist for our message. Then I've always dug deep financially and otherwise to hire people to bring on the help that I needed. And so I absolutely can't take credit for all the work. Um, and the team could go through and sort of say, Jeff, or like, You know you need to jump into here and like write a couple pages or add your story or or talk about what this means to you and so a lot of times we would gather a lot of of information and then i would personalize it and that's i think the best business books have the voice of the author and the experience of the author in them you know and why is this important to you what does this mean why are you writing about it you know what are what's the significance and how did you come to learn it and how did it come to um be something that you felt so passionately about so I I think too my advice is that weave your personal story into your writing when you are a teacher of any of any domain don't just write from the head you know write from the heart and that's what I think readers really resonate with as well and we've tried to do that in all of my books
1: oh fantastic I think it that sort of frame of thinking does quite bleed quite well into being just an overall leader it's being able to be a bit more open about your personal experiences, having that kind of transparency with, this is my thought process, this is how this means to me. Um, and when you're looking at making changes in the initiatives and programs that you're putting out that you're actually explaining like, how is this, How has this come about? Like, why is this important? Why does it matter to you? Because I think people people follow people people believe in other people um and so yeah i agree like i really enjoyed uh your books um both the first and second edition i haven't read inclusion and i'm actually now going to definitely read it because it sounds <laughs> amazing um please yeah no definitely because what would you say for for kind of being an inclusive leader and sharing your thoughts on onto paper what have you what sort of responses have you got which has really been quite impactful for you in in kind of knowing yes this is definitely this is definitely the right thing I'm glad I put this book out this has changed so many like was is there like a particular moment that you can remember
0: oh the feedback is just so wonderful authors are are we're, we're like desperate to know what difference our book makes um you know, and there's just nothing, it never gets old to hear somebody who felt a certain model, like there's a model in the first and second edition of how to be inclusive leader that's like a four phase growth model. And uh, I love models because my background is organizational development. So we we literally study models and I've been teaching other people's models for a really long time. And I always wanted my own. Um, and I didn't to put too much thought into it when I created it. I, I just wrote it from the heart <laughs> because it's my the model speaks to my journey and the steps that I have taken and the evolution that I've gone through and how I've puzzled through, um, you know, where do I get stuck and where am I and where I need to be? You know, what is the gap? So when people say your model really helped, you know, me understand where I am and what I need to do next. And in calling people to action, uh, the the highest phrase I can ever hear is that I, I am clearer. I have a plan. Uh, I see myself in a different way. I understand what role I can play and what role is needed, and I um, and where I was hesitant before, I now feel equipped and encouraged and excited, right? And I think if I can meet people in that place, uh, there are there are so many people like sort of stuck and immobilized in a certain place. Uh, When it comes to things like allyship and things like using your voice and storytelling, like you were talking about earlier. How do I enter this conversation? How do I add value? How do I establish trust um, when I'm I'm perhaps limited in terms of my own lived experience in terms of understanding what other people are experiencing? Like if I can help people get over that hurdle, then then I believe, I hope they will take it and run with it, you know? And so, but but sort of loosening us up. Uh, getting us into more of a flow so that we can evolve because nothing really evolves from stuck, right? It's impossible. It also doesn't evolve. We don't evolve from things like places like guilt or shame, for example. Those are tricky places when we're not happy with the way the world is. It's very important what, ch- what choice we make about what to do next. you know. And, and I, I want to be right there when that happens, when that awakening happens and somebody says, okay, I understand why I want, what do I do next? I want to be right there with the right resource. And that was kind of the energy I had as I was writing it. That's the audience I had in mind.
1: Oh yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I'm not going to lie. That's definitely how somewhat how I felt when in reading your book is it made me feel a lot more confident and assured that creating this podcast is something that I, I can do and I can assist mm-hmm. people in doing and and I can totally see that from other leaders reading it they can really have a clear plan like you said and, and have some sort of action plan because it's one thing that um, has come out of, of a lot of the conversations that I've had with leaders is that a lot of them just say just take action just do something and mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little bit easier said than done um sometimes you know what (laughs) i mean like like, "Mm, but what action should i take i don't know (laughs) um so yeah i think it's having a model and having a a resource to go to that that's going to give you that guiding that guiding shining light along the way um is, is is amazing that's great um moving on with the leadership role there's and especially within dei um whilst we're taking action and that's great and and we're moving forward there is a lot of there's a lot of baggage there's a lot of trauma and when we're sharing personal experiences and we're hearing others experiences that have not been the greatest we want to show compassion we want to show empathy right um and Mm -hmm. it's something that we say for for leaders to be inclusive one those are the qualities that you need to have you've got to show empathy you have to be compassionate but what, what's the difference between the two?
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because, mm. you know, we like empathy and compassion are not the same thing. Uh, and actually the research has, is starting to show that empathy is sort of is is jumping into the, the pain of another, right? It, it's jumping into the stream with neither one of you knowing how to swim, <laughs> right? And it's. While well, the want to share in pain and understand that so deeply, that is a wonderful instinct. the the what's been shown for our human behavior is that it can trauma it can traumatize everyone involved, actually. Um, compassion to kind of contrast it is full it, it, it all comes with with action, with sort of solutioning, with moving forward, right? And doesn't necessarily say you need to feel my pain directly in order to uh address you know build a better world in order to take steps and some of us you know this is what the foundation of allyship is i think is that some of us are standing on stronger ground because of our the way that we are protected by our identities and our lived experience right and the way the world sees us and the way that we're privileged in systems so when you are standing on a stronger foundation whether that's emotional, whether that's systemic, whatever it is, right? The, the point is that the strength that you can bring to your allyship and to your advocacy means that you can take next steps. You can carry that real experience forward and bring that with you into building um, something with next steps, right? Different. And, and so it's very interesting because I think if we all are in empathy, um, it, there's an exhaustion. That we take on, and what's important is to take it on to a degree, but to also move towards like asking the harder questions. You know, getting to the root cause, challenging yourself and others to do more. To your point earlier, to um, to think about why is this happening? What role can I play in influencing change within a system? So that you you carry with you what you've heard, what you've learned, what you know others are experiencing, but you're also able to understand what you aren't experiencing, understand the kind of playbook that comes with that. And so, so it's just, a, it's a fascinating thing to think about. And I think, um, but empathy feels wonderful and important. You know, we all want to know that we're being listened to. We want to know that our pain and our angst and our anger and our frustration and our, our, um, hopelessness about the current situation is being felt deeply by others. So then, but I think that's like part one. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, then, and then, right. And then I think we need to move to kind of, okay, so what, what, you know, what can we do to prevent this from continuing to recur and why does it continue to recur-, recur and those are systemic questions. And those, those are where I think it gets really interesting. Uh, like I always think of it as like, we're we're feeling these downstream impacts of racism and sexism and homophobia and bias. We gotta swim upstream and look at where it's being created. And we have to address it at the root. It's sort of the band-aid on the wound versus the root cause. It's the symptom versus the illness. You know, it's it's toggling back and forth between those things and and triaging certainly, you know, the, the wound. But ask being really, really consistent and insistent on talking about root cause and um that's where the work gets really interesting and really hard honestly because systems don't want to change and people don't want to change yeah but, uh, I mean,
1: literally that's right that's, that is what, what kind of leads me on to my next question so i was like so why do you think that is like why are we why are we not kind of looking forward why like what do you think is the reason why we're we've been doing it the way that we have been and and we need to change
0: Oh, so many reasons. Oh, God, goodness. Well, I do think it's been limiting that we have, we, and I'll say we as the practitioner community or the advocate community, we have very much focused on a couple dimensions of diversity, like race and gender. And I think the assumption has been by those who aren't addressed by those strategies directly that I am not included. This doesn't matter to me. This doesn't impact me. And I don't have anything to contribute. So if you're not female, you know, if you're not uh, non-white, if you're not, right, if you're not certain things, it's somehow, how could we have talked about it all these years in a way that could have been more inclusive? And and that means we've got to define diversity dimensions way more broadly than we've been defining them and believe that we as humans can kind of hold all of these truths together while still keeping that laser focus on you know, the, all the isms that we know are sort of with us and causing, you know, so many folks to be derailed and leave organizations and, and suffer. And I mean, we know all that to be true. And at the same time, it's so much bigger. Um, and if we were to able be able to do that, then more people would see themselves in, oh, that's me. Oh, that's my life story. Oh, that's my kid. Oh, that's what's happened to me. Oh, that's, I've never knew that that was, you know, something that, uh, people that, that I've struggled with and I feel, um, afraid to disclose like things like mental health and parenting and caregiving struggles and chronic illness and, um, neurodiversity and, you know, things that we don't usually think about when we talk about DEI. So that's one piece of, I think why we're here, why we find ourselves here. The other many, many other reasons, um, I think we were told to argue that this was good for business. And I have done that dutifully and loyally, and I've signed up to do that. And it was 20 years ago when I first learned the business case and I've been using it. But honestly, sometimes I feel like it was, it was a red herring a bit, um, because it really, I don't know if it has changed behavior. I don't know if it's changed hearts and minds. I'm tired of talking about it and having it not move the needle. Um, so that, that's another piece that I question these days, 20 years in, <laughs> I really, I question it. I know that it's true, but I question its power mm-hmm. in terms of changing hearts and minds, right? We all know it's true. Um, many things are true, but the, the question to me as a communicator is what is landing for people? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Yeah. You know, we can, we can teach anti-racism in organizations. It can be true. It can be right. It can be, the right thing? Is it the right time? Is it packaged in the right way? Can it be heard? And will it be taken on board by people? That's where I live is sort of the impact, not the intent, but the impact, the adoption. If the adoption isn't happening and if it's not loosening up and getting people to move and explaining how, then it's not that it doesn't matter. It's it's just the strategy needs to change a bit. So, um, could be right information, wrong approach, could be right information, wrong time, wrong order, <laughs> could be wrong audience, right? And and I think we'd have to kind of cut our audience too. We've got to understand that people are incredibly different places as learners. And how do we present information in ways that can hit people like I was speaking about before, right where they are, the right information, right time for where our learner is. How can we give that? And this is not spoon feeding. I don't, I don't diminish it in that way because I do believe that, you know, learning, learning is all about kind of, oh, I needed that right at that moment. I needed to hear the right thing and it kind of dropped right in. And it's something I can do. It's something I understand. It's something I feel equipped to take that next step with, and I know what to do with it. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's enough, but it's not too much so that I feel kind of my hard drive is like, crashing, yeah. right? Because I'm overwhelmed both with information and also feelings because the feelings will bury you as well. I mean, yeah. it is hard to get out of and kind of crawl your way out of, I I'm, I'm feel bad. I feel, and this is the bad person, right? I feel, I feel badly. I feel regret. I feel shame. I, 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 I don't, you know, I don't feel important. I don't feel significant very difficult to lead from that place too. So I think we've got to really be careful on that front as well and somehow find our way to having a more encouraging conversation because that's where we're going to get the traction. Mm.
1: What would you, what have you found to be that impactful message that, though that, that approach that, that's, that you found has landed the best.
0: Hmm. No, I'm still experimenting with that. I mean, yeah, um, I was going to say
1: our whole conversation is yeah, <laughs> when yeah, yeah line, I'm like, we don't know um, what the right answer is, but for you so far, I know, where, I know. Where are and you sitting what... now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, right, uh, and that's the fun of this work. It's art and science, right? And the art is the fun to me, the fun part. It's where I get like my I bring my improv performer self to it, and I think, what can I do to you know? I like to use my personal story and my own vulnerability as one tool to bridge to people quickly um i think that is that just humanizes us seems obvious but honestly uh uh, there's nothing like our story to really open that door up and encourage people to to a not see me on a pedestal but see me as another learner right i'm alongside you there are many things i don't know there are things i'm trying to figure out there are things ways that i my emotions and ego get in the way of my own humility and my own learning so, and also being LGBTQ, um, but not being having that be something that's assumed about me is also a very powerful moment of learning for people. And also the fact that I'm unafraid in addressing the privileges that I've had in my life and doing that very quickly and very soon in every interaction also kind of lets the air out of the balloon in my audience in terms of what people are really defensive about now. Because I speak to mainly leaders And those leaders have been accused of having so much privilege that A, they could never understand, B, that they are bad people, (laughs) D, that they didn't work hard to get where they are, you know, all of those things, right, that people kind of put up the barrier around. And um, I know as a speaker and and a voice that I have to neutralize things quickly in order to get to work. And I only have a limited amount of time with people. So, you know, we speakers, you gotta be able to anticipate the second you walk on stage, you've gotta be able to anticipate, how are they going to dismiss me? How are they going to make up their minds about me? And I'm going to lose credibility immediately. And, and believe me, like some of us walk on a stage and feel this and others of us don't, by the way. It really depends what our demographic is. <laughs> And what education we have? Am I a doctor? You know, am I a PhD? You know, there's all kinds of. What's this, my skin color? What's my stature? What's my gender presentation? What's you know? How have I been credentialized? Um, it's really fascinating to kind of notice and know that those biases are happening to you, like in every moment. And you know, I speak, I teach a lot on this covering concept, but I'm so keenly aware of not being my full self from the stage and challenging myself to push into the discomfort, lean into that and to talk about what it feels like to lean into it. To your point earlier, you know, writing my book and putting my personal story in, what I'm hoping people understand is this, say, watch this and this is how you do it. Like, listen to me do this, read my words and notice how I weave my personal story in and I'm vulnerable and I'm trying to kind of get deeper and share something that I haven't figured out and talk about my process and, you know, notice it because this is what you need to do as a leader. So I also hope I'm doing that and role modeling that from the stage in terms of how I present information, how I contextualize it, how I bring it to life, how I personalize it. This is precisely the work of leadership now. And it's not just inclusive leadership, it's good leadership. So uh, so I, I throw a lot at people. I think they're probably not expecting <laughs> These sorts of things, <laughs> particularly, I think they're not expecting the discussion about privilege to be one that's not aggressive. And it's not, it's actually done with love and acknowledgement that we all carry some of some kind. Well, this is the thing. And I think what it we can is, really do is it, use it.
1: Yeah. I think it's, when people talk about privilege you just see the whole room just be like
0: oh yeah (laughs) Uh (laughs) she's going there
1: yeah and and it's like you said as well like depending on on who you are like or, or what how you present or like your stature it can be taken in one way or the other right so if if i'm on stage and i'm talking about privilege people may well automatically think oh well she's gonna start saying that um all white people have privilege it's a bad thing like they're just horrible people they haven't worked hard do you know what i mean whereas um or if it was for you for example as as a white woman standing there they may well be more susceptible to listen to you because they feel like oh she she's in the same boat of us that's if the crowd is is similar to you and look the same as you but if they look like me they may be thinking Mm -hmm. oh oh, okay who's this woman here standing here talking to us about privilege (laughs) do you know what i mean so i definitely understand that you need to read the room Um, but in the same breath the whole topic on privilege does not need to be seen as a negative thing at all Um, and I think it's 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 one that we really need to get over this like let's not talk about that Um, because it should be like yeah let's talk about it as an ally how can you use your privilege to assist how can you how can you support? How how can you advocate? Like, um, that's those are the sorts of mindset or questions I think we should be
0: should be asking, um, really when we talk about it. Absolutely, and it answers the how question too. So, right, I and, and we can't get to the how because how am I going to enact the how? I enact it if I'm coming at it from an ally place. I enact it from those privileges. To me, that means access, influence um platform voice permission um you know getting into rooms accountability um that's all of that the foundation of all of the allyship that we can apply the behaviors and the choices and the actions come because we can do something or feel something or survive something that others cannot or or weather something differently right i can ride through a storm differently I'm not going to feel things or be impacted by them in the same way back to our conversation about empathy and compassion so um, it is the foundation of it um, and but i think we've got as learners remember back to sort of the order you need to do things in you need to you know open up that learner's mind and heart with sort of an unexplored bias then you have to kind of get in there and i say okay so let's look at ourselves differently and the puzzle pieces of who we are and let's put privileges in there, um, neutrally, objectively, not as a bad thing, but as a fact. And then once we've kind of inventoried ourselves, then my question is, you know, where do you need support, honestly? Because I do think too, we're, we're, we're so many things. Like I, I need allyship as an LGBTQ person, less and less, but I still I still benefit from it and I value it and I appreciate it. But then I can also be the ally in so many other respects, and I can do all those things at the same time, and I can talk about doing them at the same time. And that's what I tell leaders, as I say, make your work visible. Like, talk about the the ways that you are coming to understand your identity. Do this publicly. Um, this is not about having the answers, but it's so counterintuitive, uh, Natasha. Leaders they think they have all, have to have all the answers. They think they have to be kind of setting this, like, brave course and... You know there's there's no ambiguity to it and they know where they're going and that's what sort of inspires this confidence and yes that was all true <laughs> but honestly I, I don't I don't know if that builds trust in the same way it, it, it may but I think you need this other piece of building trust which is the realness the vulnerability the transparency the um the humility mm. and the and the bravery and the courage yeah, to say you. you know here's how I'm i'm developing
1: yeah no i mean sometimes i feel like i mean for me those sorts of leaders i mean they're good but they're only good for a short while um because mm, good point. those around i think those around you i well for me personally if i'm around a leader that's like that i don't necessarily feel seen and mm. i don't necessarily feel like i would be heard because they're so overpowering like they're they're confidence their stature is just so it fills up so much of the room that like is there any room for me like is there Mm. any room for you to have a look at who i am and how i can contribute or and how you could help me develop um because i think that's also an important part of being a leader it's not all about you guiding or showing everyone the way it's actually about taking stock of who you have with you and how you can help them Love that. That's beautiful.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And generationally, we we have a sea change in terms of our expectations of how we are heard. You know how we are included, how we are, uh, how all of who we are matters. Not just we know how to do, but our wisdom and knowledge coming from our lived experience and from our identities. So, I th- if I had to interpret what's coming into the workplace, that workforce is coming in with a very different stance with a very different approach with a very different need to feel seen um and a, and a group of leaders that don't even know how to do that because that was never done for us. We don't know there was nothing to emulate <laughs> that was right. not okay. Yeah, for work. Mm. right? So it's a very foreign it's a foreign skill set uh, for people. And yet my message to leaders is you're behind and you need to really, you need to really start to lead in a different way. No matter how unfamiliar you are with it, you've got to surround yourself with it. You have to uh, be reverse mentored if it takes that, right? I love that idea Yay. to say, I might be a leader on paper. I might be in the top of our org chart, but I am absolutely a beginner when it comes to understanding belonging in the workplace and what is actually meant by that, particularly by younger generations and cohorts, and then build sort of shift my leadership and shift the workplace towards the future leader and 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 what those leaders are telling us about what this means to them and what would keep them here and what would enable p- them to thrive we should all be students of that that's yeah. what we should be listening to because that's the world we need to build
1: mm, no I love that and I think a running thread throughout this whole conversation is for, for me what I'm taking away from it is is that learner mindset you know like it's mm. It's just being open to 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 growing and to, to knowing that you don't have all the answers um, and there's always more more to learn, more to do. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, I'm so much enjoying our conversations, Jennifer, like this is amazing. I could literally talk to you for hours, honestly. I know,
0: this is so fun.
1: <laughs> but we are, I know, but we are short on time. And so what I would love to hear from you is just before you do leave us, one piece of parting advice for the leaders out there that are aspiring to be better learners?
0: Mm. Oh, what a great question. Well, better learners, um, well, it's it's checking your certainty <laughs> about things, um, the the openness and the seeking of ambiguity because things are on a continuum. They're not binaries. Just like we're learning about gender identity, not a binary. Um, the the I think it's resisting the the right and the wrong that this world is pushing us into and pushing us away from each other. If you can hold space for, I think of it like bridge. You know, living on bridge and connecting world, connecting sides, enabling like the passage of learners and people to come together that have never come together before connections of connecting the dots uh, within, you know, your own story and your own diversity dimensions and all the contradictions that make us who we are. You know, those of us who can hold the learner mindset, I think will really thrive in this world as it's developing uh, because we have to know the right questions and not necessarily the right answers. And I think you made the point earlier, bringing people around us and surrounding ourselves strategically with, you know, as many different lived identities as we can and um, ensuring that we know every at every moment you should always be aware of where am I in a given system am I uh, what is easier for me harder for others what is harder for me easier for others and then choosing your approach from there and shifting whatever system you're in shifting it forward and I think that that's going to look different depending on the day and what we're thinking about, what's top of mind, what feels like it needs to be healed in us, you know, in terms of our celebrating all of our identities and really bringing those out so that other people can learn from us, so that other people can be changed by us. But it is also how can we then bring others' identities to the fore instead of ours and step back and center others? How can we use our platform to do that on a daily basis too and understand where am I really needed? as a change agent and as a voice, and when our other voice is needed and really being flexible and toggling back and forth between that. And um, you know, I could say more, but just kind of, I think if we begin to, to understand our world in that way, then I think we will um, constantly be learning because we'll constantly be questioning, where can I be most valuable? Where can I be of service? Um, and that ultimately is the question I sit with all day, <laughs> every day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's fantastic. No, honestly, Jennifer, thank you so much for for sitting down with me today. Absolutely. Like, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm so excited for all the great things that you've got coming up. Um, so for anyone that is listening, how best can they connect with you?
0: Yes, please find us and uh, all the socials, Jennifer Brown Consulting on LinkedIn, at Jennifer Brown Speaks on Instagram, at Jennifer Brown on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did I forget? Our book is on Amazon. Uh, you can also, if you're interested in our consulting services, we do all things DEI and organizations and have been doing them for 20 years. So we're at jenniferbrownconsulting.com and my speaker website, if you'd like to think of me as a keynoter and fireside chatter and book club things and all kinds of good thought leadership stuff, it's jenniferbrownspeaks.com.
1: Oh, fantastic. Well, I will definitely be linking down below all of those for anyone who does want to reach out and connect with you across all those platforms. Um, Thanks again, Jennifer, and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon.